Thursday Finance today on 2NURFM. And Stephen Pritchard with us. Before we get on to looking at currencies and commodities, Stephen, uh, our Premier, State Premier Gladys Berejiklian has said that every community in every corner of New South Wales is to receive its fair share. And I suppose my question at the moment um, is, is this happening in Newcastle? Well, it's a rather interesting statement when you consider the land titles office has just been sold for uh, $2.6 billion and energy, uh, Endeavour Energy has now been sold for $7.6 billion. And, you know, if you apply that to the, per, the population in this region against New South Wales, that means about $2 billion should be flowing into this region for infrastructure. So I think, you know, our local members need to ask where this $2 billion is, where are we getting it, and who's going to decide where it's going to be spent on local infrastructure? Because I don't think we are getting our fair share. I don't think we've got our fair share for decades. Mm. But now the Premier's come out and said that, I think, you know, the local members need to make sure that she, she does what she says she's going to do. Ammunition, yes. <laughs> give us what we need. Well, this give is, us our fair share. Give us our fair share. As that the Premier a- said. Exactly. And that is, of course, a state matter, isn't it? Well, we're talking about state matters, yeah. I mean, we're talking about, you know, they've reaped $10 billion in the last, you know, six weeks. Well, not even the port, yeah, yeah, but just with the land titles office and the Endeavour Energy. Yes. Um, So, you know, where's our our 20%? Because there's 20% of the population lives in this region. Do you think that'll, some of it will go to light rail, maybe? Well, that's so as you find it out of the port sale. Nothing to do with this. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> there is some ammunition. There is something for us to go to our local members with. Excellent. In the meantime, um, commodities? Uh, commodities. Well, commodities are interesting. Um, the, gold price, the gold price was down 1.29% on the week to uh, 1,662. Um, the copper price was down about 0.4% to 7,470. And the crude oil price was up 0.3 to $68.41 a barrel. Um, the Australian currency um, has fallen again during the week. Oh. Um, for all those people who are tripping around the world, are you mm. going overseas, Jane? Mm. No, uh, no, no you are? definitely no. not. No. Now that it's fallen, no, no. Uh, seventy-three point five four uh, one dollar will buy one dollar Australian will buy you seventy-three point five four US cents. Um, the Great Britain, Great Britain. Britain for those people who are off to Europe for the summer while we're freeze here. They're going over to the nice and warm. We'll buy you 56.88 uh, euro, um, 56 pence. Um, and in New Zealand, um, we can buy a dollar seven for every one of ours. So we get oh, going get up a bit against there. Cents, cents. Yeah. And in Europe, um, we're, we're up slightly against the euro. So every dollar will buy you 67 euro cents. Oh, good. So those people uh, who are going north for the summer, and mm. I don't mean Queensland, <laughs> um, to the Northern Hemisphere, um, their money buys a bit less than it did last week. Mm, okay. Mm, okay. So less glasses of champagne. Mm. Um, and the market, the All Orders Index was the equity markets around the world were in black. The All Orders Index, just in the black, was up 0.2% of the week to 5,920. Oh, so we're getting close we're to that mark, aren't 6, we? 6,000, but we're not as close as we were two weeks ago. We were 5,944. Oh, what happened? So, then? you know, a bit of a mm. setback. You mm-hmm. know. Okay. Um, and the uh, S&P 500 was up 04 to 2,300. Uh, the UK index was up almost 2% to 7,385 and the Hang Seng was up 1.3% to 25,015. Um, and a few local uh, stocks to talk about, um, or stocks that you know local investors seem to hold a fair few. Um, the 
Um, BHP was up 2.5% on the week to $23.83. CBA was down 2.8% to $82.26 after the announcement in the budget um, about uh, a levy on the bank's liabilities. And the local health fund is back up to uh, NIB, of course, $6.44, up 4% on the week. So anyone who got those in the demutualisation and got the... Mm, has kept them, has Mm. done very well. Mm. Um, And the Telstra has made a bit of a recovery from a few weeks of falling. It was up 5% in the week to $4.46. And the petrol price in Newcastle, $1.19.7, which is down 1.6% on the week. And in Sydney, it was $1.29, which was up 7% in the week. So so we're quite happy that uh, our prices are lower than theirs for a while. <laughs> don't and have to drive to Sydney to get don't petrol. Don't have to drive to Sydney. <laughs> and um, Newcastle's uh, diesel price was $1.30.9 and Sydney's was $1.31. As Henry Jennings from the Marcus Today Financial Newsletter joins us. Over to you, Stephen Pritchard. Henry, it's been an interesting week. It has been an interesting week, Stephen. As they say in China, may you live in interesting times. So. That's a curse, isn't it? It's yes. probably been a curse for bank CEOs this week, for sure. Yeah, so the uh, speaking of that, the Australian Foundation Investment Company, which is uh, the oldest and largest investment company, um, fears that its bank dividends are going to be cut further. So what, mm. what do you make of all that? Well, I mean, this week is, we've, had a, we've had a pretty big week for the banks as the, uh, the Treasurer has announced a war on banks, basically, and announced this uh, levy, uh, which the CEOs are screaming blue murder about. I'm not sure just saying this so they can buy some more. Well, they certainly have their, uh, their chance. I, I have this, uh, this gauge, which I call the Big Bank Index, which is pretty, um, or the Big Bank Basket, which is just basically adding the big four bank share prices together. That topped out at around $190 uh, a week or so ago um, and actually hit 171 uh, on, the, on Wednesday morning uh, pretty early. In fact, it was a little bit lower than that at times uh, due to this uh, fallout from this levy. So we have seen a bit of a rally in banks since. Uh, The dividends are coming up and they're pretty attractive. The question, I guess, is what happens after they go Mm ex-dividend and whether they will remain as attractive as they were. They've certainly got a lot of headwinds for the banks at the moment and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, we'll see. But uh, it's not a good month, May, for the banks anyway. But one, one sector of the market that seems to have done quite well, or the market's saying there, or feels that they're going to do quite well out of the budget, is the uh, construction and engineering companies because their, their share prices have gone up because of uh, um, all the increased projected spending on infrastructure. 
Yeah, they, they certainly have. There's a couple of big winners, um, stocks like Downer, uh, which has done very well. Downer has uh, also got a, a heavy involvement in railways, uh, which is one of the big uh, issues the government is spending their infrastructure dollar on. So they've done very well. We've had the likes of Lend-Lease. We've had the likes of Simic doing pretty well. Borrell has actually blasted the lights out recently. Um, that's also a U.S. story as they've completed the purchase of that U.S. business headwaters. Um, but one that actually hasn't done so well, uh, despite being in the construction industry, I guess, is um, CSR, which announced some numbers yesterday, really disappointed the market, and the stocks got absolutely smacked. Um, it nearly got to 520 uh, a day or so ago, and it's back down to, uh, to 430, 440. So it really has been hit hard. But generally, um, infrastructure builders um, and those people exposed to, um, to government spending And CSR, that, that's been a disaster for years. I remember when it was the second or third largest company, and it just goes down and down and down. Well, you, you, I mean, it's, it's actually been a, a, you know, you look at the chart, it's been a massive success story over the last few years. It, um, you know, it's rallied from, I think its low was about twenty, um, and it got up to $5.20, so it's, it's not done too bad. It's only been riding the uh, construction boom and the housing boom in, uh, in the East Coast. But it did say, as part of its results the other day, that uh, it did think the housing cycle had peaked. I think that was something that really um, sort of spooked the market. And the stock did run pretty hard into the results. So it's sort of come back to maybe a more normalised price. But it has, been, um, it has been a good turnaround story in some respects because they bought a dodgy glass-making mm-hmm. business, which, um, which they struggled with to turn that around. Still looking as if they're having problems there. And, and, of course, they've got the uh, aluminium business as well, which uh, mm. is a strange bedfellow for someone that makes plasterboard. Before that, they had the oil business. Yeah, and then, of course, they had the sugar business. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, anyhow, speaking of businesses, the Fairfax shareholders suddenly see value in the company now that someone else wants it, and they're, <laughs> they're after a higher bid. Well, it's only natural, isn't it? I yeah. mean, that's, that's, the, that's the way of things. I mean, this is how the playbook goes. Someone bids something. Uh, the, the board and, the sh- and uh, shareholders reject um, the bid. Uh, the board saying, telling shareholders to reject the bid. The, uh, the, the potential bidder comes back and says, oh, you know what, we'll, we'll offer a little bit more and we'll sweeten the offer and away we go. This is the normal way it happens. Um, but um, TPG have basically said, look, if you think we're going to increase the bid, you've got another thing coming. It is a complicated uh, bid. It's not like they're buying the whole of Fairfax. They're cherry-picking some of the assets, which is what some people are worried about. Um, they're only bidding $0.95 cents for those assets that they want, and then there's an evaluation, as far as they're concerned, for the rump of the business. Now, of course, the valuation is always the tricky thing in terms of what people or other people think about that valuation. So most shareholders would just prefer a quick $100.25 you know, bid. Um, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, for the whole company. And then uh, you worry about the divestments and what happens to that rump of that business that you don't want. Mm-hmm. But uh, that doesn't look as if it's going to be happening at the moment. Fortescue seems to have uh, been able to extend the maturity of the debt now, now claiming that they're almost investment-grade status. Uh, well, yes. I mean, Fortescue have done a particularly fantastic job in paying down their debt. Um, they did uh, a bond offering this week in the U.S., uh, originally, it was uh, it was sized at around a billion dollars, but they increased the size to uh, to one and a half. Such was the uh, demand for it. So, um, at the moment, they got about four point three billion ish of sort of U.S. 
Um, they've got a bunch of cash on hand, about one and a half bill. So they're down to about sort of three billion in, in net debt, um, and this is going to help them, uh, I guess, uh, manage their debt profile, manage their uh, um, their corporate exposure to that that um, that debt. But it's, it's seen as a good move, I guess, and it just shows the demand now for Fortescue and, and bits of paper. And you know, the time has passed when nobody really wanted to uh, to take Fortescue paper. So. Um, it's certainly a positive for them. Mm-hmm. And another interesting development from Queensland is that Incitex, um bidding on some uh, uh, gas uh, exploration acreage in, in Queensland and um, with a view to um, you know, getting the gas at the source to put it to their uh, fertiliser plan. Yeah, well, Incitec is, um, is, as uh, your listeners will probably know, they're, they're fertilisers and uh, they're an explosives maker as well. So um, they have this plan to overcome um, the gas shortage because um, obviously um, there is, um, you know, we've heard a lot about this shortage of gas. Um, so they have a plan to, uh, to try and alleviate that, I guess. Um, so they want to uh, tap into the Surat Basin uh, to feed into that Brisbane fertiliser factory, um, which I guess is, is kind of logical, isn't it? So... Uh, we'll see how they go with that, but certainly it's, uh, it's an interesting move from them to uh, to sort of vertically integrate, I guess. Mm. And then Australian Agricultural Company, uh, the value of their land holdings have, have gone up by 7%. Yeah, well, this, this is actually one of my favourite agricultural companies. I've got to say, I did a big thing for the Australian Investors Association uh, a couple of months ago, and this was one of my um, preferred ag stocks. Yep. Um, they are going sort of gate to plate, if you like. Um, and trying to move up the value chain in terms of their beef supply. Um, and, you know, if you've been in the supermarket recently, beef is extraordinarily expensive now. Um, so um, AAC doing a pretty good job of moving up that. They've revalued their land, which is hardly a surprise given the, uh, the valuations of every piece of land in Australia at the moment. And the stock's moved up to sort of uh, $100.80-ish. Uh, from around a dollar sixty, so it's heading in the right direction. And we certainly had some some nasties in the um, in the agri space at the moment. We've had a stock called Quintus, which is um, uh, I don't know if you remember that one. That was the uh, the U.S. hedge fund put a valuation on that as zero, mm-hmm. um, and um, they seem to be proving the U.S. hedge fund right at the moment. Stocks down another eighteen percent today. Um, it fell massively yesterday, as uh, the board um, told shareholders that they had a contract that was cancelled back in December 2015 um, that they didn't even know about, <laughs> which is extraordinary. It was a big contract with a European uh, subsidiary of Nestle. Ah, yeah, yeah, I know about that. The, yes, the, uh, the, the medicinal sandalwood, sandalwood yeah. Sandalwood. And this, this company has just absolutely shot itself in the foot. Its uh, CEO left um, so they could pursue a, um, a bid for the company with private equity. No one's heard from him ever since. He's probably selling himself in in Spain at the moment, the stocks dropped from, uh, um, you know, this time last year it was two dollars twenty. It's now forty-one cents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, not good. And another stock, Murray River Organics, has, uh, has done a similar thing. That's a recent flow at a dollar twenty, um, and that got uh, absolutely walloped and that's halved since floating, as it's going to miss this prospectus forecast. So Australian agriculture looks pretty good against that backdrop. Well, Murray River Organics, there's a few uh, accounting issues if you have a close look at the accounts there. I would know and buying those. I, I think, yeah, avoid that might be. Uh, yeah. And Crown, sorry. Crown. Crown, Crown's selling out of Macau? Macau, yeah, they finally sold the last piece 
of their shareholding in the joint venture they had with Lawrence Ho in Macau. They raised about $1.35 billion. Um, they're looking um, further east, actually. They're looking at Japan. Um, the Japanese government has recently opened up the Japanese market for casinos. They've legalized casinos. And Crown is uh, looking at joint venture partners to open a casino in Yokohama. It's not going to happen overnight, as Rachel Hunter would say, but it will happen uh, at some stage. 2023 is the, uh, is the pro- proposed kind of timeline till some sort of casino resort is open in Japan. But that's only six years away, so that's, that's not far away. Um, but, yeah, Crown turning away from Macau and over to, uh, to Yokohama. And to finish up, Downer EDI claims it'll take at least a year to fix Spotless's culture. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is such a weird takeover. Everybody yeah. wants Downer to fail in getting hold of Spotless. Everyone thinks that Spotless is such a, a bad acquisition. Yeah. The, com- the company itself, Spotless, has said, you know, all the things that Downer think they can do, we've already done. Um, the share price is trading below the, uh, the bid price. Um, and all the regulatory approvals seem to be in place. Downer itself has, has, has trousered a billion dollars in a capital raise uh, to be able to buy Spotless. Um, and if it doesn't buy Spotless, um, I guess it's got a billion dollars burning a hole in its pocket. Maybe mm. it'll give it back to shareholders. Mm-hmm. So, and the other, just to complicate matters, Downer's also got nearly 20% already of Spotless. So yeah. if the bid fails, they're going to lose money on their 20%, you would imagine. Um, but shareholders want it to fail. Yeah, I was up to Newcastle Airport and Spotless is the catering company up there and the prices they charge, I can't understand why they're not making any money. Oh, I don't know if they do the Sydney food catering, but God, the prices they charge at Sydney horrendous. Airport is just horrendous. Yeah. Anyhow, but something that's not an horrendous price is a, is a, is a free subscription to uh, to your uh, week yeah, to daily. Well, it's, only, it's only free for two weeks. The two weeks. can trial it for two weeks. They'll make some money in two weeks to pay the rest of the year. After that, we, we, we charge our pound of flesh for it, but uh, you get to read some of the, the wonderful things that Marcus and I write every day for the newsletter. So um, I would urge, especially coming up to tax time, it's probably uh, even tax deductible. Well, it would be. If you've got an investment portfolio subscription to a, a, a newsletter that provides you advice, would be tax deductible, no doubt. There you go. Well, thank, you go. thank you very much, Henry Jennings. Around. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Henry. Yeah, Thursday week. Finance. And, of course, it's high time now that we talked about the budget and Stephen Pritchard. Uh, Medicare levy is perhaps the thing that might affect most of us. Well, Medicare levy will affect most, most, most people. Um, that is so the increase, of course. The increase, <laughs> yes. yes. So Medicare levy is being increased by 25%. Um, to 2.5 percent, and the money is going to be used to fund the NDIS. Um, I personally would have thought we, it would be better to have a NDIS levy and more transparent than have a increase in the Medicare levy. But anyhow, that's mm. what's happening. The mm-hmm. NDIS seems to be taking up a huge amount of money. It does, doesn't it? And from my understanding, the benefits are not even means tested. Mm. So, okay. so, so, you know, probably there needs to be some structural reform that the NDS money is only used for people who really need the money and there should be some means testing introduced on that. Um, travel expenses on residential rental property. So, so there has been a couple of uh, um, uh, 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 
property spruikers, for want of a better mm. word, I know, you know, have been promoting that you could buy a residential property in various um, holiday occasions, particularly, you know, places like the Gold Coast. And then what you could do is you could go up there on a holiday and claim that as uh, travel expenses to inspect your own property. Of course, that was uh, too much of a good thing and always was, but now the government's decided that no travel expenses in respect to residential property are we able to claim at all anymore. Okay. Uh, is there, um, I, I suppose in some ways, that's sort of fair? <laughs> Well, in some ways, it's, it's, it's probably not really fair, but, but the other side of the coin is, you know, you know, various other people were making a, you know, it's all too hard to administer, so the easiest way is to get rid of it at all. Yes, altogether. Um, Anything more for rent, residential, residential property? And, and then depreciation and expenses in relation to residential property. So previously what used to happen is you went and bought a residential property and then, you, you know, you'd, you'd get someone to value what the dishwasher was and what the, what the stove was worth and, you know, the hot water service and those type of things, and then you could claim depreciation on it. Well, what's now proposed is that... Um, when you, when you go and buy a residential property, if all those things are already in there, you can't claim depreciation on them. You can only claim depreciation if you go out and buy a new stove and buy a new dishwasher. And, and, and the, the, issue, the issue was occurring in, in residential property that, that, that you'd have your residential property and you'd, you'd claim all these things, depreciation on when you bought it. Then you'd sell it to me and I'd say, well, you know, the, the 100000 I paid for, the, probably the million dollars these days for a residential property include, you know, another few thousand for the dishwasher and, and, and depreciate them all again. So the government's attempting to stop that, okay. um, how far that goes. Right. Um, and then, of course, um, one other thing on resident... Oh, there's two other things in respect to residential property that won't affect the majority of our listeners. Is that? So uh, foreign residents, and, and particularly those on various visa types who, who bought a re, uh, resident um, 457s could buy a a residential property in Australia and claim the capital gains tax exemption. Well, that, that's now been abolished. So, so the, the foreign residents and temporary residents who buy a residential property in Australia, when they sell it, won't get an exemption from capital gains. So that's projected to raise some additional money. And mm. the other thing is, um, and, and it's not so much common in here, but I hear it's quite common in Melbourne, particularly in the apartment blocks in Melbourne. There's a lot of apartments blocks that have been bought by um, offshore investors. Now, generally, uh, an off uh, non-resident can only buy residential property in a new development. So what's happened in in, in um particularly Melbourne, more so than Sydney, I understand, is that a number of these apartment blocks have been sold to offshore investors and they're just basically sitting there empty. So what the government's now proposing that, that you know, non-resident people who buy apartments or other residential people um, and leave the properties empty um, will be subject to a minimum levy of $5,000 per annum. And they pay that whether they're living there on, oh, well, well, only if they're not yeah, living Yeah, if they're there. not living there. Yeah. And now, will that be for a certain amount of time per well, year? I, I think it's mm. just just doesn't say. It doesn't okay. say. But, um, mm. but um, and, I, and there was a story on television the other week. I saw where someone went around Melbourne and there's all these, the middle of the night, and the, there's no lights in any of these places. Mm. So how, how are they going to actually sit down and work that out? I... I, I, I 
Yes, oh, the policing of it could I be don't tricky. Know. But the interesting thing is, it's a minimum of five thousand. It, it, it said on the budget five thousand, but when you actually read the budget notes, it's a minimum of five thousand. So I expect that um, there's going to be higher levies on on some of these so. larger properties. Mm, interesting. And one of the other things that's been introduced is the um, or was proposed to come in is uh, this, uh, which Henry touched on, is this bank levy. So what's going to happen? A few years ago, I think it was the Labor government proposed to introduce a, uh, a a deposit guarantee levy on the banks, and the banks, you know, crazed great feel hard about all that, and that was all put to bed. Well, now now the current government is proposing to do, introduce a point zero zero six percent levy on bank liabilities. Now, what this means is that when the banks take on a liability on their balance sheet, which is a deposit or some other borrowing, um, they're going to have to pay a fee to the federal government. Now, there's various arguments about this, but, but you know, the banks have had this free ride with the federal government guarantee. Now, if you go into the bank and you can put up to $250,000 into the, into the bank and the federal government guarantees that deposit. Now, if you then said to the bank, oh, you know, I'm renting a shop down at the, the, the my, um, I'm in business and I need to get a bank guarantee for my shop down at the, um, down at Coles at the Junction Shopping Centre and I want to open a little dress shop down there and they want a $50,000 guarantee, well, the bank will issue you the guarantee, but they'll want you to put 50000 deposit in the bank. Then they'll charge you 1%, um, $500 a year to issue this this 50000 guarantee and they've got the money in the bank anyhow. So, you know, in the scheme of things, a 0.006% levy doesn't, look so large when you look what the banks are charging for the guarantee themselves. So the, the government mm. is now asking the banks to do the same kind of thing with the, their they're, guarantees. They're, they're, okay. they're doing to their own customers. So, yeah. you know. um, and then a couple of things for small businesses. Um, the, the instant asset write-offs remaining. So that basically what that means is if you're a small business and you buy a piece of plant and equipment up to a value of $20,000, um, you can get a tax deduction in the year that you buy it. So what used to happen, or what still happens if a piece of plant and equipment is more than 21000 say more than 20000 say $21,000, uh, that has to be written off over its expected life. So if you, you buy a computer and it's um, $21,000, um, you'd have to write that off over probably four years at 25% per annum. But if it only costs $20,000, you can write that off in the year that you buy it. So for small businesses, um, and the other thing about that is a lot less bookkeeping as well you know you don't have to keep all these depreciation schedules so for small businesses um that that's that's good that that's continued um and then the access to superannuation yes the home affordability well you know uh, this all seems so complicated to me so so basically what's going to happen um and i don't know if the super funds are so keen about this either so what what's going to happen if you're a a um you're you're you want to save for a first home scheme, you're allowed to salary sacrifice up to $15,000 per year into your superannuation fund and then up to a maximum of $30,000. So if you can manage to put in $15,000 over two years, yeah, which is the maximum, at the end of the two years, you can take this $30,000 out of your fund and use that as a deposit on your, your, your uh, first home. Well, um, you know, looking at deposits of 20000 
twenty uh, percent. Um, you know, it's it's not not huge, is it? It's not really huge. You're talking about a deposit on a hundred and fifty thousand dollar home, and then there's the, all the administration costs that the super funds are going to have to have to 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 keep track of all this this money. I I I don't think the funds are going to be happy, and I don't think the people are going to take up it with, with it. You know, mm-hmm. one of, one of the real issues about housing affordability is the high rates of stamp duty. You know, you know you, you're getting up now. To to million dollar houses, which isn't that uncommon anymore. Even in Adamstown, they're mm. you know they're getting to a million dollars. I know it all. Adamstown's um, a lovely suburb. Oh, no, no, it's nothing wrong with the suburb, but I'm just talking about the prices. And there's forty thousand dollars of government stamp duty on that. Mm. So so you know the government is taking four percent of the the, the the purchase price mm. um, to start with, and you know forty thousand dollars to me is a lot of money. So you know if the government is serious. You know, mainly the housing affordability is a state government issue with all the taxes they're, they're extracting along the way. So they, they need to, you know, the state government needs to do something about reforming the stamp duty. And that would also have a fairly good attack, um, effect on uh, the housing market, especially. Oh, oh and it's not only that, it's, it's older people, older people who want to have got a large family house and then want to. Want, want want to want want to buy a smaller house. Mm. By the time they sell the larger, and they, you know they have to pay the agents fees, yes. the legal fees, and buy the new one, they're a hundred thousand dollars out of pocket. Easy. Yeah. Well, a good look at the 2017 budget. Mm. Thank you, Stephen Pritchard. Thanks, Jane. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Two NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business, and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.